in a restaurant, and let me tell you, the food was fabulous, and the young lady that was serving uh, Luke and I, we were at the Mexican restaurant. She's a little uh, lady, and she's probably, I think she's about 22, she said, and, and she came up, she had this look on her face of, you know, I want to I wanna bless you, and, and sure enough, at the end, she said, I hope you have a blessed day, which I don't know if you know that, but that's code for Christian, and I said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, well, I'm a Christian. And, and this guy's a Christian, pointing at Luke. I forgot his name all of a sudden. Well, what's it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and she said, really? And I said, yeah, I'm a pastor, which then let her go a little bit further. I'm a missionary's daughter. And I went, really? And she said, to Honduras. And I went, pull up a chair, pull up a chair. She is a missionary daughter from Honduras that came over to America. She was adopted by the missionary. Uh, she's a native of Honduras. Uh, she is one of ten daughters. She came to America a few years ago. She's going through college. She's going back next year to be a bilingual teacher that she's always dreamed to be. Uh, she said she bought her mother, her first, I mean her biological mother, her first refrigerator in her life, and she's 50-some years old. She said she cried, and she said, you know, I, I, I just don't know how to handle it, a refrigerator. I said, well, how do they do it without refrigerators? She said, well, they have some things like coolers around, and they've got to eat everything or it goes bad. And I, I told her the story of our church and how we're, we're in a building program to build uh, a singles building that'll be a coffee shop, and we're going to buy our coffee from Honduras. You know, I had all these things to tell her because we had something in common. And, and she goes, well, I, I don't like coffee. I said, you don't like coffee? You're from Honduras. <laughs> now watch this. She says, the reason why I don't like coffee is because when I was growing up, all we had was tortillas for breakfast and a cup of coffee. And we dipped the tortillas in the coffee just to have a little bit of food to eat. How many knows that that little girl's tip was more than it was before I heard that story? <laughs> and when she got the tip, she was blessed. This morning, you bless me for coming to church because you have put yourself in the place to hear truth. Nobody made you come this morning. It's a choice that you made. And so this morning, as we get into this message, I hope that it blesses you, that you take something from it that will last throughout the day, that will, will stick with you, something that will uh, maybe propel you to greater things in the kingdom of God. The series that we're in is entitled... A living dog is better than a dead lion. And that's the response that I knew that I would get when I announced it. But it comes from the passage in Ecclesiastics that says this, Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. What it says is all the nobility that the object of a lion that represents is great. And even though in... You know, ancient history, the dog was kind of like the vilest of all animals. The, the, the proverb that is being talked about is anybody that has breath is better off than the person that's dead. This morning, if you have breath, can you just raise your hand? I just want to see, just check, making sure. Some of you are going, where's my wife? I got to ask. All right. <laughs> Hopefully you're not there. But this morning, I want you to see that, you know, the world has a moving target of success. 
It's more money, more house, more car, more, 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 more this. And it seems to be always moving. There's always going to be somebody that has more than you. And there's always that missing piece that you're going to be trying to fill with stuff that really is going to leave you unsatisfied. But God's really target of success and prosperity is impacting the lives for His glory of the people that are around us in our family and our friends and those people that do not know God. When you think about helping the poor, that is just something that is not common in the world that we live in. Let them take care of themselves. And a lot of the culture that we live in helps the poor because of our Christian forefathers that had put that into practice. And so that we today as a country do that or, or helping the widows or the single mothers, helping marriages be put back together, helping the sick and the hurting and the homeless. So this morning, before I begin this message, to realize that God created us for greatness, for His glory, so let's get going. Let, let's begin to see some of the things in the, the life of King David that impacted him that not all of his life is used as a good example, but some as a bad example. And this morning, as, as this message comes forth, I, I just want to begin with prayer. And I want you, right here where you are, you don't have to pray it out loud so everybody around you can hear you, but just where you are. Say, God, I'll allow my heart to receive what is spoken today over me. That God, that I might see growth come into my life greater than it is now. Let's pray. Father, you are a good father. And God, we have to sometimes unlearn what the world has told us about your kingdom, and your church. But God, we should know as believers that you're a good father and that, Father, that you are desiring to give us good things. That as we walk in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that, God, that we stand out like a light on a hill in a dark world. Father, today the words that are spoken out of your Scripture, God, brings us life. And God, that you've come to give us life to the full, to the overflow. And this morning, God, prepare our hearts to receive it. In your name we pray, amen. This morning, we're going to be talking about David. And then the title is David the Wounded Son. David the Wounded. And really, when you study and you study and you study David's life, and I encourage you to, it's mostly in First and Second Samuel, some great passages that we're we're talking about in the series, David in this part of his life is really a below average father when you think about good fathers. And, and this morning I want you to see it's, it's taken out of 2 Samuel chapter 13 and this story is the story, matter of fact, the next chapter after his mistake with Bathsheba. Right after that had happened, Nathan comes on the scene and begins to reveal that there's going to be turmoil in his life. And, and sure enough, that happens because the very next chapter, we, we hear a story that is just kind of mind-boggling. I mean, you just go, what? It's a pretty dark story, too. Here's a king that pretty much has everything rolling along. He's not just a local hero, but he's a national hero and then an international hero when he defeats Goliath at a young age. He, he does have some dark times running from Saul, and, but he gets to the palace. He defeats the uh, Jebusites, which is the people that own Jerusalem, really, and possess it. And then he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. It's the capital. He begins to prosper. He moves the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and we, we talked about that. 
how God has a process of worship and not just whatever you want to do. Well, David kind of realized that and found out the hard way. But then there's a time where it seems like when the spring came, when kings go out to war, we find David in his palace instead of going out and, and doing the things that he was called to do. And during those times, he, he, we see last week, and we saw this together, is there was distractions in his life that even though he knew what he should have been doing, the, the distractions of life began to roll in. And just like you and me, we begin to be distracted. And, and he had a mistake in his life. He fell in adultery with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. David kills her husband through a series of events where he's a soldier and they put him in front of the, the fiercest battle and, and he dies. And she is brought to him and, and marries David and then becomes really uh, the queen or she will produce the heir in Solomon that will be the king one day. But between then... Before Solomon becomes king, there's a lot of dark time, and this is one of it. Here's a story that David had several wives, and he had several concubines, which were really in all practical ways his wives. And the story goes that David began to have children, and a lot of children, and, and some were of this wife, and some were of that wife, and some were of that wife, and, and you can imagine that the family of David was growing. And one of his sons was Absalom, which was at that time the heir apparent. And then there was another son called Amon. Absalom had a full sister named Tamar. And Amon, listen, they're all brothers and sister. Amon becomes infatuated with his own sister. And you go, what? To the point that he wants to possess her so much that he becomes sick. And, and somebody comes along and says, what, what's wrong with you? You're the son of the king. And he says, well, I'm just in love with who? My sister. Do what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. No, I love her. They hatch an idea that she's going to bring food to him. And so then Amon starts talking to his dad and kind of planning the ambush. And he just honestly, David says, what do you, what's wrong with you? And he says, I'm sick. Can you, can you ask my half-sister Tamar to bring me some food and fix it and feed me with her own hand? Well, David, well, okay. And it carries out that way where she comes and, and she begins to feed her brother and Amon grabs her and says, come to bed with me. Now watch this. She says, are you kidding me? What are you doing? She says, this is something that shouldn't happen. She says, but if you have to do this, if you're going to do this, then ask my father, your father, and we can become married. But if you're going to do what you're going to do, you're, you're going to be looked at as a fool, and I'm going to be looked at as a disgrace. But he, he wanted to hear of it. He, he rapes his sister. You said, what? That's in the Bible? Yeah, you need to read it sometimes. It's pretty wild. And the story goes that after he rapes her, it says that he becomes to the point where he becomes disgusted with her. And a lot of times that's what happens in our sin. That we're drawn away with our own evil desires and we find out that when we've 
answer those desires that we become sick with ourselves in the sin that so easily entangled us. And the story goes that he begins to hate Tamar. Now Absalom, Tamar's full brother, becomes very irate with his half-brother that just raped his sister. So you wonder, okay, what's going to happen when David finds out? Here's what happens. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. And we're going to be talking about that in a few minutes, but for two years he does nothing. And when the, the emotion of the crime begins to die down, Absalom, it didn't die down for him. He's been scheming all this time for revenge. He creates a party and invites all his brothers, all the sons of David, and they're going to have this big party, this big, big shindig. I mean, there's jug blowing and a spoon, is cla- you know, all those kind of activities. Who knows, maybe apple bobbing. I don't know what. It was a party. Fall Fen Festival party kind of thing. And the story goes that Absalom has been planning this for a while and at the party grabs Amon and kills him. For two years David didn't do nothing and then Absalom does something because his father doesn't do something. He kills his brother and then flees for his life to find out that David did nothing for three more years. Now watch this. The story continues by by year after year, nothing is happening. And Absalom has fled for his life. There's no search party, there's no trial, there's nothing. David is doing nothing. He's sitting on the throne with his crown on, and the lights went out in Keller. All right. I got time, Lonnie, time. (laughs) And it says that he... After he kills his sister, he flees to Gershon. And then the the three years that follow that, listen to this. The Bible says that Joab, which is the general of the army, also family with David, comes to him and they scheme. He schemes to get David to bring his son back. But the story goes that as David falls into the trap and says, okay, he should be brought back, but he can't see my face. They go get Absalom. They bring him back. For three years, he doesn't see the face of David. For three years. So for seven total years, nothing has happened. Seven. In our life, that would be back to 2010. For seven years, not a thing. Eventually, because of that decision to do nothing, Absalom will get so frustrated that he will begin to lead a civil war and even come after David, his own father, to kill him. Now, now that you've heard the story, I want you to see that out of this rebellion, there's something that begins to happen, that if you, if you begin to study this, that Absalom begins to manifest or to exhibit what is happening this whole time. See, David thought that if he could just close his eyes and, and kind of stick his head into the sand, it would go away. Some of us can do the same thing in our lives. And in this story, 
It is the sin of offense. If you think about it, Tamar is offended with her brother in raping her. Absalom is offended with Amon for raping his sister. It goes on to say that David becomes offended at Amon and Absalom, and then later Joab for killing Absalom. And if you know the story that when Absalom comes back out of hiding to get the attention of Joab, he'll burn his field down. So you could say Joab becomes offended with Absalom too. Now, all this offense that's going on, all the things that are happening, I want you to see that all the signs, you might be a bad father if the people in your family start trying to kill each other. Everybody agree with that? That's, that's pretty bad. Here's the thing that I want you to see, and it's possible in our lives that can parallel. David is the youngest son of eight sons. He has seven other brothers. He didn't get a lot of attention. It seems like what we see is a snap photo of his life from his father Jesse. David, it's anointed king in spite of Saul and goes to the palace. I want you to see how this happens. If you have your Bibles, look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10. Samuel goes to Jesse's house to anoint him as a young man, somebody in Jesse's family. It's a mystery to him. He doesn't know who is the, the chosen one that God has chosen to be king over Israel, following Saul. And just watch this. Instead of today you hearing it in, in reference to maybe just the story taking place, you're one of Jesse's sons and your name isn't David. Okay? Take it from that view or that perspective. In 1 Samuel 16.10, it says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? He says, There is still the youngest. He is tending the sheep, Samuel said to him. Then send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Now, now remember, you're one of the seven sons that have not got picked. And you're standing going, how long is it going to be until David comes? Okay? So verse 12 says, so he sent for him and he had, had him brought in. Now, now listen to the description of David. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Now right there, if you're one of the brothers and you're not as healthy as David, you could be jealous. If you're not as good looking as this young David, you could have been jealous. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Did you catch that? He didn't go to the other brothers, you're dismissed. You can go to your rooms, you can go do whatever you... No, no, you stay here. And you're going to view with your own eyes the anointing. What is happening in front of them is he is now elevating him to kingship. In the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, now I want you to catch that. His brothers know who he is when he's a shepherd. And they're going to view his life becoming blessed after he becomes anointed because the power of the Lord is upon him. All those elements have the 
ability for him to walk, all these brothers to be walking in a fence. Well, God didn't choose me. I wish I was as good looking. I'm just as good looking as him and as healthy as him. Why didn't I get picked? Anybody with me today? I think that a lot of actions that we do and behaviors that we act out in our life are because we viewed them from our parents. You know what I'm talking about on that? Because of what our parents did, a lot of times the videos are played back in our mind and we begin to do that later in our life. I, I, I know that. Anybody ever feel like you woke up one day or you said something and all of a sudden you go, I'm my mother. I'm my father. Let me give, if you're a parent, let me just give you this. You're a little kid running around. You open the door and they say, shut the door. Their condition's getting out. You don't even know what that means, but you shut the door. Hey, Dad, can I have some money for lunch? Well, you think money grows on trees? And one day after making fun of your parents, you realize that your child comes in and you go, you think money grows on trees? Oh, no. I think David in this situation really didn't have a lot of videos to play back in his mind of how to be a parent. Now, now again, I, I don't know if he spent a lot of time with his family. Just the little snapshot that we get, we kind of have the impression that he was always over there being the youngest. It wasn't that he was disliked or whatever. He didn't have favor. It just was that he was the youngest and he was kind of put out there. You, you're just you're, you, out there. And in this story, again, about polygamy and having several wives and concubines that birth children, there's so many things wrong with polygamy. You know, it's, you know, it's really sexist against women, but also just the, the thought of one man trying to parent all those children. You know, even in our culture, the, the more that we see, not in every case, but a lot of times when this, the mother has to raise the children by themselves, it becomes wearisome and the children are missing that masculine influence in their life. When you think about David, he had Jesse, his father, that is there any other sons you have? Well, I have, they, yeah, yeah, there's one out there. Maybe he didn't spend a lot of time with David. When you think about his older brother, Elib, which really a lot of times in family, an older brother will kind of step up and be an influence on the younger brothers or whatever. But in the case we know in the story of David and Goliath, you know, when David comes and says, man, who's going to go get him? I'll get him. And, and Elib goes, you little punk, what are you doing? Not, not a real good influence on him. And even King Saul that takes him in, man, I've got a hero here. He's a warrior. He's going to live with me in the palace. He's my armor bearer. It's not long until he starts throwing spears at David. How many people know it's time to put your resume out when your employer's throwing spears at you? Not, not, yeah. So, so you can see that the masculine influence into David's life is not really good when you see the archives of his life. So let me ask you, beyond what I just said, why... Was David a bad father? What, what was this going on in his family's life? Here's what I want us to hinge off this message today, and I want it to be a takeaway. So if you're taking notes, write this down, because I think that it's important. He would not deal 
with the hurt of his past pain. He would not deal with the hurt of his past pain. If you think about it, every great person has to deal with their past pain to reach their God-given destiny. If God has created us, and we all agree that, if, you know, if we're to the point that we're believers and it says we're anywhere that two agree on anything, my Father will give it to you. That, that is amazing power. To rise to our destiny, we have to overcome our past pain. When, when I think about David, he didn't have a lot of people to be able to talk those masculine influence in his life. But when you stop and think, he had the kingdom. I mean, come on. He had priests, friends, family, uh, prophets. But we have no record that he would go to them and say, man, I'm just dealing with some stuff in my life. Maybe it wasn't just that he was overlooked as a child, or maybe it wasn't because of all these little things, but then the distractions started coming. And I want to talk about that this morning. Because every one of us has suffered pain and dramatic experiences in our life. Things like handicaps, or, or a divorce, or rejection. Maybe adultery in marriage, or maybe a death of a close friend or a family member, and, and that pain hurts. Maybe a loss in, in our money or maybe in a job situation. Foreclosure of property or a bankruptcy that's taken place in our life that, that is dramatic and, and it hurts. But this morning, can we realize that we all have those things in our life? Can I tell you something that you already know but maybe you've never heard it? People go into different ways of handling the pain instead of doing it right. And, and let, me, let me give you some reasons. And again, a short pencil is better than a long memory, so if you write these down. The first one is that they medicate it. You, you see people that are hurting in their life that they've never dealt with it, and they, they deal with it with alcohol or maybe sex or drugs or entertainment, even, even shopping, holics. Working long hours. All those distractions. And, and they medicate it because they, they don't ever realize that the first step is accepting it instead of denying it. If you, if you read or if you're part of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know that they say you, you can't deny that you've got a problem. Someone told me that they have a shirt that says, Denial is not a river in Egypt. That, that you have to accept the problem but you see people that don't medicate it. For, for David and his family, I mean, really, he had a, a common thread that ran through his family when you think about the sexual part of them medicating the pain in their life. We know that David had many wives and concubines, but even to the place where he looks out his window or off the roof one day and sees a beautiful woman and takes her. He's taken care of sexually by his wives and concubines, but no, 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 I want, I want something else. That will solve my problem. And to the point of even going to the place of covering up that desire by killing her husband. Come on now. We, we've already talked about Amon, his son, that through just a selfish pain in his life that he, he rapes his sister. We know that Solomon has a thousand. And this is his son also. Solomon has a thousand women. He has 
Come on, everybody knows that 500 is a limit. I remember a guy in my church, I preached this years ago, like years ago, when we were even at another location church, and, and, and I went and visited him on Monday, and he was going, a thousand women, a thousand women. I said, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. A thousand women. <laughs> Substances and distractions, always a way to cover up pain. Another way is, I, I just put it there to kind of use the alliteration, motivating it, and that is just continually staying busy and not dealing with it. When you think about it, Solomon was really a living scandal. He was the son of Bathsheba that, you know, the whole situation that happened, that he becomes a king. And it says in the Bible in Ecclesiastes that he built anything that he wanted. He just stayed busy building. Anything that his eyes desired, he just kept being busy, 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 busy. Just a workaholic. Just kept me. And then at the end of his life, he said, it's all meaningless. Can, can you imagine Solomon's pain of being a son that grew up as a young man that had David as his father in the sin of Bathsheba, but then also his brother was Ammon and Tamar and Absalom and all this stuff that had gone on? Just keeping busy. You know, there's a difference between you know, just being busy and someone that's diligent. Diligence is doing all I can do and then stopping and resting. Something about people that are trying to medicate themselves by just being busy, 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 busy. It's almost like that they can't stop because when they stop, you know, Pastor, if I, if I'm, if I just have some quiet, I've got to watch the TV. I've got to have the TV running. I've got to have some earplugs in. And, and you go, why? Because when I slow down, the ghosts begin to appear in my past and I, I just don't want to experience those anymore. So I mean, they're, they're filling every day up with stuff. You know, I'm working all during the week and then, and then at night I've got to put some more stuff in. More st just stay home. Just, just spend some time with your family. You know, turn off the TV. Just talk to them. No, no. <laughs> I only got so many hours in the day and I got to stay busy, 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 busy. Again, just a distraction to medicate the pain. Can I put this a certain way? Let me say this. Satan keeps a fence of shame and condemnation around anything that has pain in your life. And the reason why is because he knows where there is shame and condemnation, people don't want to take that to God. I think another way that I've seen that is extremely harmful is that they meditate on it. That's how they overcome, they think, the pain of their past. You know, mom said this when I was growing up and dad said that. You know, matter of fact, just to give you a story, I know a, a, a friend of mine that was adopted. And the family that brought him into their house, the adopted mother in, in a bad moment, spoke this over his life. It was better around here before you came. Harmful. And, and what I'm preaching today is what he had to come to grips with. 
that he began to not only meditate, but to motivate, just kept busy. But, but when, when it comes to meditating on it, there's some people that will go through their entire life from the time that they experience the pain until the day they die, and they're just meditating on it. What happened, what the person said to them, the offense that they're carrying, and they never got over that because they keep meditating on it. That's what Absalom did. For two years, he just continually thought about it. When you think about it, every night when he went to bed, 730 nights, two, two years, 730 nights, every time that he went to bed, he just thought about how he hated his brother and what he did to his sister. Ephesians 4, verse 26 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. If you want to think about it this way, on the day that we celebrate his D-Day, the enemy had the shore and had the whole continent, really, of Europe. And the Americans, in the English, and every of the Allies, if we could just get a foothold of the beach, we eventually went on to win the war. Now, if you think about it the other way, Satan would love to get a foothold in your life by just a little bit of pain, and you meditate on it, you just become mad about it, and you just stir it. Stir it up. Inside of you, meditate. Just think about it all the time. The enemy can get a foothold. And if you don't confront that issue in your life, it begins to eat away until eventually the enemy has you. Eventually, he'll kill his brother. And I want you to think about this. He kills his brother and eventually it will lead to civil war in the whole land of Israel. Because he meditates on this problem and does not deal with it. Now watch this. This is just... It'll eventually cause him to die a traitor's death. And there's actually thousands of men that will be in that civil war that will lose their life because one man did not deal with his pain of his past. This is serious. Now, now, let me just tell you this, because we're going to talk about how great people handle their pain. And, and let me tell you, it, it, even though that God has created us to be natural, with Him, His super on our natural, we become supernatural. It's not easy, but it's something that God calls us to do. Just last week, I was driving a truck, my truck, and well, it's Luke's truck now, and for some reason, every time I get the truck, it's either low on gas or, you know, you know anyway, anyway, another story, sorry, sorry. But, but today, Mark and I, were going out, you know, we're going to go to the backwoods, we're going to go to the cows, and, and we're humming down the highway, we pull over, and there's this wart, or this big bubble on the side of the tire, and, hmm. Now, now, any man that sees that knows that there's something coming. You don't have to be a mechanic. And, of course, what's coming is there's a lot of work. And there might be some money involved. So, you could say that we deceived ourselves and think, <laughs> got good hour to go on that tire. And then we'll give the keys back to the owner, Luke. Take care of that. But we were pulling a trailer on the truck, 
And so we're humming down the road, talking, boom, and it's not like we might pull over here in a minute. No, it's now. So we take the exit, and I can't even make it off of the exit. So I'm on the side of the road, and if you know 287, I don't even know if it's an exit. It's a, that way, you know. And so I, I'm, I'm off of the road, but, but let me tell you, I'm real close. I can feel the air go by when the cars exit the highway. Zoom, zoom. And so we're under there, and what should have, because I just blew by this repair shop that we've been to many times, fixed tire, and it takes probably less than 20 minutes. It's good. We got this. I own a truck. I'm a man. Did I tell you I own a truck? What I'm saying is, I deceived myself by thinking, it's good, I can do this. An hour and a half later, Mark finally got that tire off and we got it fixed. <laughs> so, so listen, let me, let me tell you, instead of doing those things of, you know, what did I always say? That medicating it or motivating, just staying busy or, or meditating on it. Can, can we just be honest? Let's, a lot of times you know what to do. It's just in hearing it and doing it. The first thing is, great people face the pains. And this morning, if you can see something in your life, you're going, i got to come to grips with it. The great people face it. Here, here's the story of Paul. He's in the middle of hating the church when he gets revelation of who Jesus is and his life has changed. Now, Paul will go on to be a man that preaches on grace and he's not in a good place, but he has to face it. Can, can I tell you this? This will ring true in your life. Listen, greatness starts with how many scars you allow God to redeem. Then comes the impacting lives for His glory. But first you have to allow Him to redeem the scars that have been in your life. Again, let me speak into your identity of who you are as a believer. If you believe that you're the hope of the world because Christ is in you, if you won't allow God to heal you of past pain, maybe your mother said something, your father said something, someone at work said something, maybe you lost somebody that you loved, whatever the pain might be, if you will not allow God to heal you, He can't comfort you. And, and this is an important part, that if, if He can't, if we can't let God to heal us, if He can't, if He won't, if we won't allow him to heal us, then we can't help somebody else be healed. See, a lot of people say, you know, I don't care about anybody else and their whole actions in life is selfish because they're dealing with their own pain. If you allow God to heal you, and there's some people out there that are hurting, that they will never allow anybody to heal them unless they've been through what they... But if you allow God to heal you, you're able to speak in the life of your son, your daughter, your work associate. They have heard in their life. David chose to sit and allow the pain just to eat on him, and he did nothing. 
Can I tell you today, you can be the end of the pain in your family. Not that all of us aren't going to go through other things in our life, but if you are a father and a mother and you have children, you can begin right now teaching them how to overcome that pain in their life. To break that chain of just ignoring it or saying it's... No, no. Facing it. The second thing is, how to overcome pain is to forget it and to forgive it. Forgive that person. Now I know, let me tell you it right here. Can I tell you, that sounds so much like a preacher's point. That Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably the hardest part, is to forgive and then forget it. I'm going to give you some practical ways of doing that at the end of the message, but I, I want you to think about this. Here's Paul, and he's gone through all of that where he's actually killed Christians. Anybody killed a Christian? Hopefully not. But now he's on the side of believers and Christians, and he's preaching. Don't you think that he carried around a lot of that pain in his life? But here's what he came that will help us. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Not that I've already obtained all of this, what he's already been talking about, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing, this is what he said, one thing I do, I forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm not going to forfeit what Christ did for me on the cross. And forgiving my sins. I'm not going to allow him to do that for me and then not receive the gift that he's given me. I'm going to receive the gift. And I'm going to be victorious. Paul wasn't saying that he could just forget it like amnesia. But he's saying that he chose not to allow that to meditate on his life. Just keep meditating. He ain't going to do it. No. No. I'm going to do it. Can I tell you this? Until you let the past die, it will not let your future live. I think that I'll say that again. And I would like everybody just to kind of participate and say, Amen. I'm almost done, so Amen should come at a joyful rate. All right, here we go. Until you let the past die, it will not let your future live. If you would have responded like that, I got another 30 minutes in me at least. <laughs> can, can I just tell you, what is your pain? This morning, seriously, will you let God's grace trump that pain? Pastor, I, I've messed up. I, I'm the one that's brought the pain on myself. Where sin abounds, grace even more abounds there. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, today is a new day. Let me tell you, all of us have a point of saying, hallelujah to that. I can allow my past to die so my future will live. Let me say this, I love this. Forgiveness does not mean that they are right. It means you are free. I love that. And then let me tell you the last one they do is they follow Jesus away from the pain. Great people allow the Holy Spirit 
to minister in their life almost to take care of them and, and nurse them, allow the Holy Spirit to nurse them back to health. You, you know, let, let me just tell you this. This is what I really believe, that it's some of you that have been offended by somebody and has back pain in your life, maybe someone that did something to you and you're carrying the offense around in your life and you haven't not allowed it to be gone in your life, to release it. Can, can I just give you some suggestions? Number one is pray for the offender. Now, now again, you're in church and you go, I would have guessed that if you would have had, you know, a guest session. But I'm not talking about just God help that person. I'm telling you, spend some time that's designated, no more than just getting your thinking and your confession. God, I forgive them and I pray for their success in their life. Now, again, meaning it, now, now here's the second thing. It's probably the hardest, maybe, of the three things I'm going to suggest. After you spend some time in prayer for that person, then speak to the person that offended you. See, biblically, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, says that you go to that brother and you say, I'm carrying this. And, and let me tell you, can, can I tell you, you don't need to do it in a way that is hurting to them. Everybody knows how to be super spiritual. Can I tell you? And it makes you sick. It makes all of us sick. You know, brother, I've just been praying for you and you offended me and I need to have some time with you. <laughs> you need to go back and pray some more because you... But then spend some time with the person and just go, hey, this, this. Now let me tell you, we, we're not trained to confront somebody. We're not even trained to listen. So we go into that meeting and we're talking, 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 talking. Or if somebody comes to us, we're thinking about what we're saying. You know, in Michelle's class of, of you know, seeking to be understood. But after you're hearing them, listening to understand. I'm kind of mixed up. Say it again. <laughs> Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Usually we're wanting them to understand. We don't care what they're saying. Because what I found out in ministry and counseling people is we judge other people by their actions. We judge ourselves by our motives. I never meant that. I don't know how you're offended at me. Little on me. <laughs> Sitting down with somebody, come on. Being a believer is not easy in maturing. And then the third one is probably, if that's hard, this is going to blow your mind. Give that person a gift. Let me tell you, you can forgive somebody, but then when it comes to the gift, you could be, I'm not giving them, no well, you haven't forgiven them yet. And do it again. Do it with class. You know what I mean? You're a child of a king, so don't be going in there going, man, you offended me, mad me, made me madder than you know what, and I tell you what, I just want to give you this. <laughs> Come on, I didn't mean that. That didn't help you get over your pain. But walking in love is not something that is a suggestion. It's a command to God. 
And a lot of times we choose not to walk in love and have all these distractions and it's easier to stay in our pain. And it affects everybody that's around us. So this morning, I'm going to ask our worship team to come back. We're going to just give you a chance to respond to the message this morning. As the worship team leads us just for a few minutes in worship, I'm going to ask uh, as they begin to sing in just a few minutes for a few people to come to the front as just people that would like to pray with anybody this morning that has a need in their life and maybe they've gone through something, somebody's offended them or someone maybe you've offended that you say, God, I need help in dealing with this situation. That you realize as a church family that you're not alone. That we're here. That we want to pray with you. We want to believe with you. This morning, would you just stand with me? We've already taken up the offering. We've already done the announcement, so we don't have to do that. But this morning, if you'll just close your eyes and enter into a state of worship and say, God, thank you for what you've given me. Again, it's not the way you think you ought to enter into worship, but what God has said, enter into my worship like this, into my courts with thanksgiving and my gates with praise. So as we do that, I'm going to ask now for those people that I've asked just to come to the front to pray. If there's people here during worship, if you just want to find one of these and say, would you pray for me? You don't even have to, have the re- the, the, you don't even have to mention what it is if you don't want to. But as we pray together, let's believe for healing of people in our church. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's worship.